0: Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Podcast. I'm James P and I'm joined by Podcast Old Hand Tara Leggett, and our special guest Hi. today is Joe Rogers. Hi Joe.
1: Hi James. Hi Tara. Hello, how are you? Good thank you. You? Yeah, good, thank you.
0: Okay. Um, As a way of introduction, I came across Joe via Instagram, uh, which goes by the name of That Spitfire Bird. And it was um, some of your lovely footage of the Spitfires coming into land in the uh, Buttercup Cam, I believe you call it. Um,
1: Buttercup Cam, yes.
0: Yeah. And that's what got me interested in talking to you today. And I thought that's someone who's obviously got access to fabulous uh, warbirds. And then having spoken to you, I discovered your volunteer ground crew for Aero Legends. Um, So maybe just start a little bit with telling us who you are and what you got started in.
1: Well, um, I'm a lady of a certain age who um, currently works as volunteer for Aero Legends during the flying season in the summer, um, which I'm able to do because I gave up my nine to five job a couple of years back and um, to concentrate on my, I'm a private landlord, um, which was always my retirement plan. Um, I actually sort of started, well, I retired a little bit earlier than I anticipated because it got very, very stressful with my job. Um, and around that time I flew in a Spitfire for the first time for, I had a big F word birthday, shall we say, um, treated myself to a flight in a Spitfire and that kind of changed things. I just thought I can't, I can't go back to normal life after this. Um, did, you, I
2: don't, did you have a,
1: like a passion for aeroplanes before that or did you just sort um, of think? Yes, I did. From a, probably being early teenager, I, I, I don't know where it, came from because no one in my family is particularly interested in aviation I mean my dad likes planes but nothing nothing sort of have no pilots or any RAF blood as it were um I think it started as an early teenager when behind my nan's house there was a bow fighter that went down during the war killing both crew and it was dug up I think it was 83 or 84 they excavated it all and I was quite fascinated and sort of It was in the field that we used to play in as kids and I used to go over and watch and picked up a couple of bits, shall we say. (laughs) And um, um, It sort of sparked my fascination really for all things World War II and planes. I think after that, I decided I wanted to be in the RAF because that was probably the only way I was going to afford to learn to fly or have access Mm. to aeroplanes. And I I remember going to a school careers fair probably just before you choose your O-levels. And one of the O-levels I wanted to do was history because I was promised a World War II syllabus, but it turned out to be the Elizabethans. So I was extremely unhappy about that and disappointed (laughs) studying the Elizabethans for two years. But anyway, um, the RAF chap I went to see at the Careers Fair basically said, no, um, because you're a girl, were his exact words, which wasn't great. (laughs) And obviously a different day and age going back sort of 30, 40 years. Was that in like the sort of like 80s? Yeah, it was early 80s, I would say. I mean, I think I was born either too early or too late because if I was around during the war, I might have gone to be one of the ATA ladies. I would have loved to have done that. Um, Yeah, ferrying the aircraft from factory to airfield, taking the the weight off the boys who were fighting, Um, or too late in that... um, too early rather in during the 90s we had our first female fighter pilot so I, I missed it I, I was probably in the twilight zone of years in between where obviously women weren't regarded as fit for service in that respect I guess which I'm, I'm glad to say is different now. Well um,
2: yeah I was going to say if you didn't have such a closed-minded career
1: festival yeah. man, then yeah. you could yeah. have been yeah. the first female fighter pilot. I did try and get in in again when I was at university. I tried to join the air training call there, the ATC there, but again, that was I think the university I was at. It was all very old boys network, and mm. they didn't want me either. Um, but by then, I'd, I'd had experience in gliding. I went to do um, I went gliding instead, basically as a as a young teenager. I went on a family holiday to Germany. And uh, we went to see a gliding center there. And there was a young girl there, probably a teenager, who was flying gliders. And I thought, aha, that's, that's the way to do it. That's the way to, to get into it. So I joined a, gl- a gliding club when I was, came back to the UK and did that for a, probably a couple of years. But you had to be 16 to go solo in those days. And I was probably ready at 15. So it would have meant a year of hanging around. Um Mm-mm. My parents weren't so keen on, I don't think, me spending every spare minute at the airfield because I did have O-levels to study for. And uh, my gliding instructor also in that time got himself killed. Unfortunately, it was a mid-air collision. Oh, no. So that obviously dented the confidence a bit. Anyway, the upshot was I didn't end up going solo. And then I think from then on, I just never had a combination of the time and the money to to learn I had the time and no money or the money and no time. So it was, it's one of those yeah. things that never actually came to fruition. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? It, it did rather. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I tried to get in and get university and it didn't happen. And I tried to probably in my early twenties to, to fund it myself, to, you know, to go solo in the gliders, but that, um, I couldn't really afford it then having just bought my first house, et cetera, when interest rates were like seven or 8%, it was a, a bit of a stretch. So, yeah, it, it went by the wayside and until I think it was. I've always been interested. I've always been going to air shows and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then I think it was 2015, I dragged my wingman, my dad, to um, the <laughs> Battle of Britain air show at Duxford, 75th anniversary. And it was there I saw an advert for Spitfire flights. And my sort of little ears went up, oh my God, Spitfire flights. <laughs> I mean, I never knew that you could get in a Spitfire, which probably a lot of people didn't in those mm. days but the caa had um changed the rules on civilians being able to fly in ex military aircraft so um it was then just classed as a, a dangerous sport like say hang gliding or or bungee mm. jumping so the public were allowed to do it so i thought right i know what i'm doing for my big birthday um so 2017 i actually did flew from biggin hill um in a spitfire went down over the white That's... cliffs over the battle of britain memorial and that's relief. where I flew. Had a great time. Yeah,
2: <laughs> That's where I flew. I flew um, on the 7th of October in 2020 yeah. um, you from Biggin Hill. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? What did you think of it? Oh, very little words. And I, I remember saying that as well. I remember yes. um, our uh, colleague, he sort of put a, put a camera in front of me after I'd done it and he sort of went, what did you think of that? How, how was it? And I just sort of went, very little words. <laughs> That's was, exactly, um,
1: exactly what I said.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's, there's nothing quite like, like it mm-hmm. and you can't really describe it. I mean, unfortunately, no. James hasn't been as lucky as we have. <laughs> no, yeah,
0: no, yet. It's, it's top of my bucket list. It's just like I've got <laughs> to sell a few things to do it, you know, but it's one of those things that it's an opportunity for a lifetime, isn't it, for most people? Yeah, you know? it will
1: be worth it. I mean, my yeah. my pilot said, I think we did a victory roll and a barrel roll or something. And my pilot said, "How was that then?" And I, and I was just silent. And he said, "Are you okay?" Yeah. I said, "Yes." It's just there's no words to describe it. So <laughs> that was was exactly my reaction. But you do get that emotional re- response, I think, in a Spitfire that you don't get in any other aircraft. Like I, I quite often unstrap customers who are in tears, grown yeah. men. I mean, ask you know, Spitfire Elizabeth basically makes grown men cry. She frequently it's just that emotional it's lovely to see it's just that that connection i think that you don't I, I get think with it's anything else
2: like you're having such a such an amazing experience but you know yeah. at what cost it's come yes if that makes sense you know exactly yes. what those what those aircraft were used for and what their purpose was and it's i i can imagine that is quite a big factor into what causes all the emotions because it's like wow i'm getting to do this awesome thing but Oh, yeah.
1: Yes. At a cost to others,
2: like, yes. At a cost to others, yeah. Um, but it is, it is. I think, 100% you need to do it, James.
0: Oh, definitely, mm. definitely. We were talking about this in our last podcast. Uh, we've all got like our favourite aeroplanes, but the Spitfire is the most emotional for most people, isn't it? It's, for some reason, it just its so evocative.
1: Mm. Most emotive, definitely.
2: Yes. I would say. Who's so, <laughs> like, the biggest person that you've ever helped to
1: fly in your Elizabeth? Um. I think we've had a few famous faces over the years. I None that I, I think, don't think I've personally strapped in. <laughs> anyway, um, Paul Hollywood, I think, is quite a frequent visitor because he lives quite close. Basically. I met him last year at the 80th anniversary. Yeah, he's, he's yes. cool. Um, I recently strapped in um, David Templeman Adams, who is quite a famous uh, adventurer, explorer. He flew a hot air balloon over the poles um, oh. And said he was actually quite nervous about getting in a Spitfire I said, are you kidding? You've flown hot air balloon <laughs> over the North Pole And you're worried about this um, So no, he was cool um, I think we we have people like When the Silver Spitfire took off around the world um, I think there was there was an escort of three two-seat Spitfires There was Dermot O'Leary and David Coulthard oh. People like that have been in the back um,
2: Dermot O'Leary is so. one of my favourite people I'm Not really looking life. forward to coming down. Oh, James, what is that face about?
0: It's a happy face that no one can see on the podcast. So it's all good. But obviously you also get to sort of meet quite a few veterans as well. I mean, how, how does that go down when you help help those in and out of the, of the Spitfire?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few sort of 90-year-old chaps who we sort of get in and out of Spitfires. And I, I think quite often there's, there's a family connection or a reason that, that that they want to fly. And that's there was one particular chap who was at our um, Air Legends air show year before last? Called he was a French guy, Albert, who saw Spitfire Elizabeth shot down um, oh, wow. in 1944 over northern France. He saw the pilot bail out, and he found the pilot, Jimmy Jeffrey, Canadian Air Force pilot. He hid him in the woods as the Germans were hunting for him. Um, I think the, the, Jimmy was quite concussed, obviously. And um, eventually, anyway, they hid him, managed to hide him from the Germans and managed to get him to the French resistance, who smuggled him home to fight another day. So yeah. this French lad, now 90 years old, was at our air show and we flew him in the back of the same Spitfire that he, wow. sh- he saw shot down in 44. And he was, he, was, he was quite, you know, obviously emotional. He did a victory all over the airfield, bless him. He was a very game old, game old chap. So when stories like that sort of come full circle, that's that's nice to see. Um, We we had another guy, old chap, down one day who was just coming to see the museum, I think. But it turned out that he crash landed a Lancaster at Headcorn um, back in the day, so he came over, was regaling us with tales of you know how he bailed out, and it was it was it was quite. You do meet some amazing people, but obviously they're very dwindling in number now. They're getting less and less frequent. um, we quite often get people, though, for whom it is a, a dream come true, or who it's a, you know, who are very seriously ill, and it's their last mm. dying wish, if you like, which is also pretty hard, um, pretty emotional to deal with as well. But it's it is nice to have happy customers for whom you are fulfilling a lifelong dream for many. So it's yeah, all sorts of people <laughs> basically. All sorts.
2: Mm. And then you've got me. Then you talk to like me and James, and you're like, ah. Uh. Too boring
1: people. No, not. <laughs> I deal with interesting all. people all the time. <laughs> I, I think it's good that youngsters, I call you youngsters compared to me, oh, are, are still in. interested um, in this. You know, we need to keep this this history alive. We need to oh, definitely, you know, it, honor the memory of, of what people gave up so that we could live the way we do, basically.
0: Being able to sort of let people grow up in this bit, it keeps it alive, doesn't it? it's something you can just yes. tangibly feel and do and experience.
1: And it keeps it keeps them flying. I mean, I know there are some purists who say, "Oh, you know, two seaters, they should be restored as single seaters." But two seaters means that people are interested, people can fly them, and it keeps them in the air where they should belong, and it keeps you know keeps them alive, if you like. But there were two seaters during not during the war, but Vickers actually built two seaters in 1946 as training aircraft, so they are genuine, if you like, mm. as two seaters. They're not a complete fabrication. But obviously we can't restore them all as single, we can, well, if to restore them all as single-seaters would mean somebody with very deep pockets needing to keep them in the air rather than, you know, as a commercial enterprise, at least it keeps them in the public I consciousness, I guess.
2: I think it's important mm. when you're keeping the memory of these people alive that you get to sort of experience in a way, even though it's nothing like exactly what they would have experienced, you, you're you're able to relate to them in a, in a way. Um, for example, you don't necessarily know, you know, all the conditions that they were under. But you can imagine after being strapped into it, I think mm. the way that I sort of described it afterwards is literally, it was like I put the Spitfire on. Um, well, they always say you wear it, definitely. Yeah, yeah and, and I think before having flown in the Spitfire, I didn't necessarily realise just quite how true that statement no.
1: was. I think um, it comes as a shock to a lot of people, actually how confined it is, and which is why there are height and weight limits obviously on, on the rear cockpit because the, the pilot needs to be able to get the, the uh, control column right back into, mm. into your lap to keep that nose off the ground on taxiing and take off, things like that. So, you know, and, and the chaps who have very wide shoulders, for instance, that they're, they're quite confined, you know, narrow. It's quite narrow as well. So it, it's, it, is, a, it is an experience. But what, what I found the first time I flew was I had a newfound respect for the few, I mean, I respected them anyway. But blimey, doing that five, six times a day in combat conditions—how physically and emotionally draining it must have yeah. been! It, amazing, really. I don't know how they went back to real life because I, I struggled to go back just after one one flight to sort of change <laughs> change my <laughs> life. So because so you, did, you didn't go back to real life, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> you went back to headcorn. <laughs> I pretty much did, yeah. Because the only thing on that first flight um that would have made it better would have been to to be in a Spitfire but flying alongside a Spitfire because to see them from the outside in flight is pretty amazing I mean they look so different to on the ground so I booked um, a flight the following year with um, Aero Legends to do a, such a formation um which unfortunately didn't happen due to various technical issues and what have you so it was in the process of rebooking that flight that I sort of said uh, by the way do you ever need any volunteers?" you know just on the off chance fully expecting to say no sorry we don't you know take volunteers but they went yeah actually so so oh okay take me (laughs) thank you hello (laughs) so um yeah and um the rest is history as they say it sort of coincided with the time i got very stressed with my job and and gave up that and and had more time available really so it was a happy sort of serendipity i suppose you'd call it
2: yeah
1: um And and just uh, now able to sort of devote summers to spit firing and winters to landlording, really. And what more could you want in the summer or in the winter? Anytime. Well, yes, really. (laughs) Less (laughs) landlording would be good, but I can't, Vegas can't (laughs) reduce.
0: So do you still take on uh, volunteers?
1: They do still take volunteers. I think there was like a little sort of interview um, process. I remember I think I I filled in a a form and why do you want to do it and this sort of thing. Um, I'm not sure what the, the procedure is now. I think that I know they do definitely do still talk to people about volunteering. Um, you can do as much or as little as you like. I think it, it's useful to be able to do more hours because then you, you get the, the familiarity and the learning process is obviously quicker. But I think with, with my interview, I, I think I remember saying something about women in aviation, particularly after my experience of not getting into the RAF or anywhere near. Um, I just thought, well, if I can be that that 14-year-old girl at a gliding center in Germany, you know, that I spotted and thought, oh, perhaps I could do that. You know, if I could hang around, loiter at airfields and if someone a young girl spots me and thinks, well, oh, actually, there are women who 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 do this. I mean, because my I mean, for instance, my Instagram account is 97% of my followers are male. <laughs> and I and I think, you know, you know, the women women perhaps aren't. So interested, or don't think they can they don't get into they it, can. Or I do, Yes, exactly. So, and there aren't many female warbird pilots out there. There's probably only two or three that have reached my consciousness.
2: It's funny you should mention it because since starting at Key, I've had quite a big, I don't know, focus on trying to get a bit more of that sort of women in aviation side of things over. Um, I mean, James and I were talking about it just before. I think it's it's such an important and necessary thing um yes. and like you say if, if a li- little girl can see that you're you know strapping these people into the spitfire or, and that you're volunteering that you're helping it's just one of those things that it won't leave their mind and there's been so few of that or so little of that sorry not so few that what you do really does make a difference it makes a difference to you but it makes a difference to them as well
1: absolutely well yes hopefully
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah i mean it's like you could be a Kardashian, or you could, you know, wear with Spitfires. You know, what would you rather do? What, what's the better thing for, for your daughters to um, get into?
1: Not sure. I've got the bottom to be a Kardashian. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think I have. Oh good. Oh goodness! <laughs> Although I have to say that a lot of the spotters generally get photos of my bottom because I'm always bent over strapping people in. So, so.
2: <laughs> the first time, the first
1: time I climbed into a Spitfire, not when I was
2: flying, but the first time there was a photographer there. And so she just started taking pictures because she thought, oh, she might want to remember this. Mm. And afterwards, she was going through them on the phone, on the um, camera with me, and she was like, I'm really sorry, but they're all of like, yeah, yeah. you're behind.
1: You're <laughs> I'm back like, yes, exactly. Oh, well. Not the most yeah, flattering of, uh, no, No, but I was, I was wearing some nice trousers, so I don't mind. Well, I should start to worry when the spotters start to bring wide-angle lenses rather than telephoto, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think we've... Uh... Got to the bottom of that one. Um,
1: In terms of, Uh, yes,
0: yeah, even that was terrible. I'm very sorry. I didn't mean that. Um, So, how how much time do you actually spend volunteering? Then, just like when I was trying to speak to you um, to sort this out, you were you were back and forth, back and forth. You know, do you you most weekends?
1: Um, Yeah, I would I would say most weekends um, during the flying season, probably April to October. My family know pretty much they're not going to see me until October. As soon as spring arrives, it's I generally do probably three or four days a week. So I go down there generally on a Wednesday evening, then work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back on a Monday morning quite often, and then sort of do what I've got to do here, sort of Tuesday, and then repeat. So, I mean, obviously some days get cancelled due to weather or or what have you, right? This weekend just gone. I went down on Friday, which took me five hours on the m 25 That was lovely. And then we flew. We had two Spitfires down this weekend, so we flew formations Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and I came back late Monday night, um, which is why I probably couldn't get hold of me till Tuesday because I was <laughs> quite tired. Um, so it's and this weekend coming, we're at North Weald, so we're flying from North Weald in Essex, another of um, Aero Legends bases, another World War Two airfield, um, and again we'll have we'll have two Spitfires, a single seater and a, a two seater that we'll do fly with experiences. So people can pay to go up in a helicopter or whatever and fly alongside the Spitfire and take photos, that sort of thing. So there's, there's generally always something mad happening. Do you, do you help a lot with
2: sort of like the air show preparation and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, generally, yes. So, you know, putting out tables and chairs or erecting fences or, you know, whatever needs doing a couple of days beforehand. And then we were obviously on the ground on the air show days themselves as well. So that those can be very long days and, and very tiring. So, we generally have briefing at sort of 7 a.m. Um, and then by the time you've done everything and put the aircraft away, it can be 7 p.m., 8 p.m.
0: Yeah. So, but, but that's the um, thing, though, isn't it? Historically, you always think about the pilot, but it's the ground crew, it's, it's the hours and hours that go into it, everything, mm-hmm. really.
2: Especially on the event days, it's putting those events together and it's volunteers like you, I suppose, that a lot of people, I suppose, think about the engineers even. Um, yeah, but then it's volunteers like you guys that put these things together, um, or that help put these things together.
1: Yeah, I mean, also we don't get involved in the engineering side; that's done by qualified folk. But yeah. <laughs> um, we're there just generally day to day, getting the aircraft out of hangars, cleaning them, making sure they're ready for you know all the bits are ready for the customers' the flights. So the helmets are there, the memory sticks are there for the cameras. Uh, we sort of make sure that they're they're briefed, safety briefing, they're strapped in properly. Um, that they that we sort of do marshaling and refueling that sort of thing, um, and then at the end of the flight that their, their guests can come out and take some pictures and just we make sure they don't walk into any sort of live propellers or anything like that. So it's just general <laughs> herding <laughs> and um, making sure their day you know their day goes well really, and then obviously we're putting everything away at the end of the day and going for a beer,
2: <laughs> a well deserved one I can imagine as well. Just yeah. um I should mention to everybody that we are actually speaking via Zoom because COVID's not over yet, people. Um, but just saying how interesting um the wall behind you is, are they all so there's I can see four Spitfire posters. Um, are they? It
1: started with the Lancaster one. I think that's a genuine World War II recognition poster. So I quite like the World War II recognition stuff. It's quite sort of graphic, as it were. But the yeah. posters um, well, you, you might recognise that one You've probably got one of those I've got one of flight those Flight certificate Yes <laughs> Then um, These two here Are the Aero Legends aircraft So that's Elizabeth Who I've flown In that one. Oh, so Are they not the flight certificates then Are they just um... that, that one's a flight certificate This ah. one's a single seater So I don't think I'm going to get A flight certificate in that one <laughs> You never know <laughs> No never <laughs> know. Um, And then the top one is the silver Spitfire oh. I'm so, so looking forward to seeing that on, um, is it the 25th? Yes, so she is at our air show at Headcorn, 25th, 26th, 27th of June. Um, she's one of the attendees, one of many Spitfires attending. Um, if you see any, I ran into her at Goodwood, so I said hello to her at Goodwood. I flew down oh. there in um, Boltby's two-seater. Wow. Um, so we we're sometimes sort of hire in two-seaters from other operators and, and run like three ship formation weekends, which are quite good.
2: If you see so a little me to... crouching behind the, um, yeah. the the landing
1: gear, I'm not moving. Yes. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> yeah, she, is. she I think she looks better in the flesh than she does in pictures, actually. She's, she is pretty special. Lovely Mark 9. Just, she's
2: so, I suppose she's so... And you can do your lippy in the mirror, isn't she?
1: she a good, good lippy mirror as well. Wow. It's the perfect one to, for women in aviation. Exactly. It's the perfect must-have accessory. <laughs> a Mark 9 lippy mirror, yes. Yeah.
0: Brilliant! <laughs> I mean, how many hours have you clocked up in the Spitfire now? Then you've obviously been up um, in it a few times.
1: Well, nowhere near obviously pilot hours, but no. um, I, I don't know. I think I did work it out once. I think it was um, it must it must be more than two hours now. I think. So my first flight was forty-five minutes, and then I did thirty. Yeah, probably getting off for two hours. I think
0: that's not bad, is it? That's not to be sniffed at.
1: No, not at all. But they, they always feel like minutes when you're up there. That's the mm.
0: <laughs> but it's absolutely, it's one of those things that when you sort of look at the cost, you might sort of wince at it, but it's it's an experience that, I, from what I can gather,
2: it's you, irreplaceable. Yeah, you, you can't it's
1: experience. Yeah, it is. It's a lifetime, for many, it's a lifetime memory. Um, and, and for me, that's what it was intended. The first one, obviously, I paid for was going to be a one-off lifetime, you know, once in a lifetime thing. But I didn't quite realise how addictive it was going to be. Um, and, and I said to my, my mother, said, oh, you can always do it on your next big birthday. I said, no, I'll be doing it for my next birthday. We'll Not waking for that any up. Birthday. <laughs> so, so, I, so I did. I booked, I booked the second flight for, you know, the following year. But uh, Every birthday's a big birthday. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, um, if you listen to this before August the 13th, uh, we were actually giving away um, a chance to grow up in one of the air AeroLegend Spitfires. Uh, we've te- we've teamed that's up with Air Legends, so that is one of our prizes that you can actually enter to win on the uh, key Air website, which obviously you're on right now. Um, and obviously, I think you get gonna... like
2: the photography package with that, with our like in-house photographer goes up with you and takes some air-to-air pics and all that sort of stuff, and your flight certificate, obviously, that's what the winner gets, isn't mm. it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like again, you know, it's just like and you'll, to
2: you'll get to meet the lovely Joe.
0: Exactly. Okay. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm
2: not sure it's <laughs> a bonus
1: or not. I might even be strapping you in. <laughs> You'll get that lovely view we were talking about. <laughs> uh, I think that's... The air-to-air photography, it will be worth it, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good place to leave, actually, because we've kind of reached our, our end. So I think uh, all it means to be said is uh, thank you, Joe and Tara. But thanks again.
1: Thank you. Well, thanks for having me.
0: This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.